Good morning and welcome to the Bitterrooke Baptist Church Weekly Sermon. My name's Tom, I'm one of the ministers here at the church and wherever you're joining us from, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to you today. We're shortly going to be starting the sermon and delving into God's word and seeing what he's got in store for us today. But before we do that, let's open our time together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come together today and wherever we are, we can be in your presence. We can share together in your word and we can hear some truth about you. Father, we thank you that um, that there is no way that you can be isolated from us. We thank you, Lord, that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, you are with us through your Holy Spirit and you always have been and you always will be. Father, we we pray that you will bless us this morning as we as we open your word together. We pray, Lord, that the message that, that comes through the sermon will be of you, that you will speak to each one of us. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, that, me, that we may come to know you even more deeply than we do now as our heavenly father. So be with us and bless us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure that, like me, you've heard it said many times that people don't like change. It's one of those sayings that gets bandied around from time to time and it's difficult to argue with. But what is also difficult to argue with is the fact that in the past six months, there has been a huge amount of change. And it's been quite impressive the way that people have adapted to that change very quickly. For instance, if this time last year I'd walked into a shop dressed like this, you probably would have thought that I was going to rob the place. At the same time, if, if I'd left the building, squirting disinfectant everywhere and wiping every surface that I'd touched with a paper towel, then you would probably think I'd committed some sort of crime and was trying to remove all the forensic evidence. And I think it's fair to say as well that if you've walked into a shop and before you'd even set foot in the building, a shop assistant has squirted some hand sanitizer into your palm, you may even have been a bit offended. Well, haven't our attitudes changed? And the reason they've changed is because we've suddenly been reminded of a truth. We've suddenly been reminded of a truth that we were taught when we were children, a truth that we're all aware of, but we become very blasé about. And suddenly we cannot be blasé because that truth has proven itself in a terrifying way. That truth, of course, is the fact that we live in a world that is full of germs germs and bacteria and viruses and all these nasty things. But because we live in a country where most of the time we don't have to worry about them too much, most of the time we, we manage to stay fairly fit and healthy, we've become very blasé. We wash our hands when we've been to the loo, I hope, and maybe before we eat, sometimes, but actually, in the past six months, I don't know about you, but I found myself washing my hands a lot more often than I ever did before. 
I certainly wouldn't have carried a bottle of hand sanitizer around with me. I wouldn't have dreamt of wearing a mask out in a shop. And I certainly didn't wipe down my desk when I left the office in the evening. Our attitudes have changed. I read a, a stunning statistic this week which said that the average person touches up to 300 surfaces every half an hour. That means that if I leave my house at eight o'clock in the morning and wash my hands before I go and then I don't wash them again until lunchtime, I've touched 3,000 surfaces between eight o'clock and one o'clock. That's a lot of germs that I've come into contact with and I had no idea because most of the time we can just carry on. We just ignore it because we can't see germs. I sanitised my hands at the start of this sermon. You saw me do it. But actually, since then, there's probably airborne germs that have landed on them. And they're no longer perfectly clean. Our attitudes to personal hygiene, to cleanliness, to hand washing have changed drastically in the past few months because suddenly there's this virus. I'm sure you're sick to death of hearing about it, but... It's there. There's no arguing with it. It's here and it's here to stay. And it's, you can't see it. We can't, we can't spot where it is and, and, and isolate it as much as we'd like to. And so far, we haven't got a vaccine, which means that each one of us has a social responsibility to make sure that we do everything we can to avoid carrying and transmitting this virus. Now, I'm not here to talk to you about personal hygiene today, you'll be pleased to know. Instead, I thought today that we'd look at something else that it's very easy to become very blasé about. Something else that you can't see but surrounds us in the world. Something else that each one of us carries and if we're not careful can have dire consequences for us. I'm talking about sin. Now, the first passage that we're going to look at today is actually Jesus talking about hand washing. But we need to be careful how we interpret this passage. It comes in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15. And it comes just after Jesus has been, has been um, chastised by the Pharisees who have looked at his disciples and said, your disciples break the tradition of the elders. In other words, they, they break Jewish law. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Ugh. They wouldn't get away with it today, would they? But you see, the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, you claim to be someone special. You claim to be sent by God, the son of God. And yet you don't even keep the, the, the law of God yourself. The law of God clearly states that we should wash our hands on a regular basis. And yet you don't insist that you're disciples do it and of course when we first read that we might think they've got a very good point that's the law of God that's the law that God gave to the Israelites back in the Old Testament and the Pharisees have kept it up and Jesus isn't isn't fulfilling that Jesus isn't isn't doing what he, he should be doing but Jesus comes back with a retort that teaches about the spirit of the law rather than the, the practical aspects of the law. Now, 
The Pharisees were absolutely right. The Old Testament law was full of examples of, of purification, of washing. It was full of examples of making sure that, that, that the Israelites, when they were living in the desert, were hygienic. That they didn't allow themselves to become filthy. That they didn't be, allow their food to become infested with germs and maggoty. And, and he tried to, uh, God's law tried to, tried to protect them by keeping them clean. It's not a bad thing. And we can see throughout the um, throughout the Old Testament that that these these rites, these purification rites were maintained. Indeed, right up until we get to the start of John's gospel, when we read the account of Jesus turning water into wine, we're told that at the back of the banquet hall at the wedding, there were six stone jars full of water which were used for um, purification rites. So we know that the, the, the Jewish people were very good at, at keeping that aspect of the law. But listen to what Jesus says when the Pharisees try and trip him up. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Now, let's just clarify something here. Jesus starts that, that answer by saying, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. Jesus is not advocating eating with dirty hands. Jesus was well aware that if we eat with dirty hands, then we'll put something into our mouth. It will go into our stomach and it will go out of our body a lot quicker than we would like it to. Jesus is not advocating eating with dirty hands. But what he is advocating is an awareness that physical cleanliness is less important than spiritual cleanliness. He wouldn't be against hand sanitizer, masks, disinfectant. He wouldn't be against social distancing. But he would be against doing all those things to protect ourselves physically and then neglecting our spiritual purity. You see, the material body, our, our flesh and bones won't last forever. But our spirit will. Our soul will. And so Jesus says, don't, don't focus on physical hygiene at the expense of spiritual cleanliness. Instead, remember, remember that what's inside matters you see, the Pharisees went through the went through the motions of keeping themselves clean on the outside, but they didn't focus on their inner spiritual cleanliness. And that's a really important part of our Christian identity, acknowledging our sin and, and confessing it to God. Sometimes in a Baptist church, confession can almost sound like a bit of a dirty word. It it's, it's brings back connotations of sitting sitting in a, a, a dark box next to a priest pouring out all of our innermost dirty secrets. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Actually, confessing our sin to God is one of the most liberating things that we can do as a Christian.
If we turn to Psalm 32, we see an example of David sharing his response, the relief at having confessed his sin. Now, we're not going to go into what his sin was. The story of David and Bathsheba will be left for another time, perhaps. But David has committed some pretty nasty sins. He's done some pretty bad things. And this is what he says in Psalm 32 to express the relief of having confessed his sin to God and known forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. I love that psalm because it really gives us a a feeling, a flavour of what David was feeling when he wrote it. The relief of having had that burden of sin lifted from him. And the way that he expresses it shows us that that only happened when he made the conscious decision to confess his sin. You see, through this psalm, we learn that confession is a, is a vital part of our Christian identity. Now, it's also important to note that David actually makes a point of telling us, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. We often, in a prayer, say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. But sometimes we need to go further than that. You see, it's like bringing a suitcase with a padlock on it. And it's a closed case and we give it to God and say, we're not going to open that. We're not going to unpack it. We're not going to go through the contents. Just whatever's in there, Lord, uh, forgive me. Because I'm ashamed. And I cannot bring myself to confess to you what's in that suitcase. But what David does here in, in Psalm 32, he tells us that he actually he actually listed his transgressions. He doesn't just say, I ask for forgiveness for my sin and it was given. He says, I can I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's plural. That means it wasn't just a, a, a big bunch of sin. He went through the painful detail. He humbled himself. King David. He humbled himself to the point of acknowledging each and every part of his dirty linen. He aired it in front of God. And by doing so, he felt the relief, the wondrous relief of what it means to be forgiven by God. This is an important lesson to learn. Because... 
sin brings with it shame. And shame means we want to hide our sin away. We don't want to confront it. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to have to have to deal with it and revisit it. We'd rather just bury it somewhere and pretend it wasn't there. That's what shame makes us do. And of course, as soon as we do that, we're we're very much like Adam and Eve in the garden when shame caused them to cover up their nakedness. Well, actually, we need to be humble before God. We need to have the humility to confess our sin to him. We don't need to confess it to one another, although sometimes that might be helpful. You don't need to come and confess it to a minister. I can't forgive sin, nor can any other minister. Forgiveness can only be given by God. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to go through the process of showing the humility of admitting our sin admitting our shame, and then knowing the forgiveness that God gives us, feeling that shame and that guilt lifted away from us. You see, that all comes through being humble before God. Jesus says in Luke 14, for everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and they who humble themselves will be exalted. So if we come before God and, and we, 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 we thank God for everything he's given us, that's a good thing to do. And then we, we come out with the list of things we'd like him to do and the people we'd like him to help and, and the, the gifts that we'd like him to give us. That's all, that's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. We should petition God. He knows what's on our heart. He knows what we want to say to him. But sin creates a barrier between us and God. Sin creates a barrier. And sometimes to fully remove that barrier, we need to fully confess our sin. If we exalt ourselves, then we will be humbled. But if we're prepared to humble ourselves in the presence of God by confessing our sin, then we will be exalted. And so please hear me right on this. I'm not suggesting that we need a, a whole scale, um, painful, unpleasant experience of, of going back and listing everything we've ever done and beating ourselves up and condemning ourselves. But but if we allow this barrier to remain between us and God, then then all that happens is that the, the, the more we sin, the more we add to it. Imagine if imagine if. You didn't put your rubbish out for a week. Then suddenly you've gone from having three black sacks to having six black sacks to having nine, then 12, then so on and so forth. And before you know it, your whole front garden is just rammed full of black sacks. And every week you throw more and more out there and you have to try and clear a path through them and, and build them up on the side so you can actually get out of your house. That's going to be no fun. You're going to lose touch with your neighbours. You're not going to you're not going to be able to escape the stench. Your sin would have created a barrier that you cannot ignore. And it's going to become damaging. Your garden will become contaminated. Wildlife and plants will suffer. People will, will avoid you. And you look at it and think, 
all I had to do was put the bins out and they'd not been taken away. If I'd put the bins out at the right time on the right day, they would have been carted away same as normal. But instead, I've now got this massive problem to deal with. If we allow this barrier to build up between us and God, it just becomes more and more and more of a problem. And eventually, if our shame and our guilt stops us from actually dealing with it, from actually confronting our own sacks full of rubbish and, and asking God to carry them away through forgiveness for us, then we're going to just end up driving God further and further away. Distance will grow spiritually. We won't feel a closeness with our Heavenly Father because we'll be very aware of the elephant in the room. This, this sin barrier, this problem that stops us from being able to have a fulfilled relationship with him. In 1 John, chapter 1, verse 8, John writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has sinned recently. None of us go through our days getting everything right all the time. We're all prone to feeling anger or jealousy or lust or, or whatever it might be. We are all prone to feeling those things. And sometimes we can follow through on those things. We can, we can say the word that we shouldn't say. We can do the thing that we shouldn't do. We can, we can treat the person in a way which we regret later. And we need to come to God. We need to put things right with our fellow, our fellow man, but we also need to come before God and put things right with our God. John goes on. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. You see, for John, it all hinges on confession. It all hinges on us confessing our sin, not to not to a priest, not to one another, but to God. And we can all do that. We can all come before God and confess our sin. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, for there is one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And that's the crux, isn't it? Jesus is the one mediator. Jesus is the one who who we confess to, who we confess in his presence Jesus is the one who God sent into this earth because he knew that there was a pandemic of sin in the world. He knew there was a pandemic of sin which we were powerless to do anything about. No manner of animal sacrifice or purification rites could solve the pandemic of sin. So do you know what God did? God sent a vaccine. God sent a vaccine through the blood of Jesus. And on the cross, when Jesus was put to death, that vaccine was released into the world, not in tablet form or 
in an inhaler. But through the spilling of his blood. Through the life ebbing away. Because Jesus was absolutely perfect. He had no sin. He had nothing to confess because Jesus had never sinned. He was the only one. The only one. For whom that can be said. Not for you, not for me, not for anybody else that has ever lived or will ever live. Jesus was the son of God. And so when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, it was the most perfect, the most pure sacrifice that could be made. We don't understand the the mechanics of the cross. There have been there have been whole bookshelves of theologies written about about what happened on the cross, how the atonement works. There are all sorts of theories and ideas and they're all really interesting. But fact is, we don't fully understand what happened on the cross. But what we do know is the result. The result of what happened on the cross is that we can be saved from the pandemic of sin. By praying in the name of Jesus, by by praying to Jesus and confessing our sin and asking Once we've confessed, asking for forgiveness, then it is given. And so and so it's very easy for us to to hear the word confession and and shy away a bit. Confession is not something that we're really very keen on doing. It's not something that, that we that we talk about an awful lot. But actually, confession isn't something that should make us shy away. It's something that should make us celebrate. Confession is a liberation. By confessing our sin, we we are then forgiven from it. We are then freed from it. And sin, sin, sin can bind us. Sin can overwhelm us and overtake us. Confessing our sin breaks the bond of sin. Confessing our sin means that the, 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 the bond of sin that was holding us to the darkness is severed. And instead we are free. Martin Lloyd-Jones said sin is the greatest power in the world with one exception. And this is the power of the love of God. And so we all sin. We all do it all the time, whether we whether we believe in God or not. The world is full of sinners, including us, the church. But the love of God is more powerful than sin. It is the only thing that is more powerful than sin. And so the love of God is the only thing that can prevent us from being bound and overwhelmed by the power of sin. Jesus's blood washes us clean and dissolves those bonds just like that. But just like people seem to be able to catch coronavirus more than once, as soon as we as soon as we've confessed our sin and we go out into the world, we are still vulnerable. Confession is not a a one off event. Forgiveness is not a one-off event. We need to keep coming back to God. You see, confession clears away that barrier that I spoke about earlier. All the, the rubbish that we allow to build up and build up and build up so that when we come to, when we come to pray to God, there's a barrier, barrier in the way and we can't properly communicate what we're trying to say and we, 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 we need to acknowledge it. Confession clears that away. And confession 
requires humility. We can exalt ourselves and wait to be humbled. Or we can humble ourselves, confess our sin to God, ask for his forgiveness. And then know that liberation that David expresses in Psalm 32. When he says, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. So, at the moment in the world, we're desperate for a vaccine for coronavirus. We're desperate to, to, to find something that will kill this bug. Something that we can either be injected with or, or, or take a tablet or sniff a spray or whatever it might be that's going to mean that we are immune to coronavirus. And just like the flu jab, we might have to have it on a regular basis. Who knows? We just don't know. But to finish this morning, I just want to point out that on this hand gel, you'll see it kills 99.99% of bacteria. Pretty impressive, really, isn't it? But it doesn't kill it all, does it? They're not confident enough that it's going to kill it all. And it's not just that particular brand. There are many, many, many brands that have that written on. No one claims to be able to kill everything, all germs. Because there are germs that haven't yet been discovered. There are strains of viruses that haven't yet developed. So they're not going to put on their bottle, kills 100% of germs, because they cannot make that claim. But you know what? The blood of Jesus Christ heals 100% of our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to forgive 100% of our transgressions. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our history contains, Jesus through what he did on the cross, can open up a relationship with God the Father. Jesus has made it possible for you and I to come before the throne of God, to confess our sin, to acknowledge our failings, and then to ask for forgiveness. And he's also made it possible for us to walk away from that throne with our heads held high, safe in the knowledge that we have been forgiven because we are children of God. We are made in him, his image. We are just a little bit lower than heavenly images. You and I are chosen by God, are made by God and are loved by God. And if we want to be, we are forgiven by God. I don't know about you, but when I'm reminded of that truth, then suddenly, although I, of course, I'll keep wearing the mask, I'll keep sanitising and wiping down surfaces, I'll carry the hand gel around with me. It's the right thing to do. We've got a social responsibility to look after ourselves and to look after one another. 
But I'm reminded through that message that we've got another responsibility as well, a spiritual responsibility to make sure that we are purified inside, that we we look after ourselves, that we confess when we have those angry outbursts, that we confess when we when we have that extra drink, when we say that word that we shouldn't say, when we can't control ourselves and we lash out. When we drive too fast in a speed limit. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. We've got a responsibility. To make sure. That we encourage one another. To confess on a regular basis. To acknowledge our sin. And then to be released from it. To be liberated from it. To have those bonds broken so that we can walk away from the darkness and walk into the light. So that we don't live in fear of who we are, but live in pride of the one who made us and the one for whom we stand. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know when we're going to be able to meet again physically as a church. I don't know when we're going to be able to sing songs of worship and enjoy fellowship. I cannot wait for the day that we can do that again. But what I do know with absolute certainty, is that God is with us every step of the way. He loves us. He's for us. And he wants us to be sanitised on the inside as well as on the outside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we live in a world that is full of germs and bacteria, but we, we also live in a world that is full of sin. But Father, more importantly than that, we live in a world that is full of your Holy Spirit. We are surrounded and we are filled with your presence. And so, Father, this week we, we pray that you will help us to hold our heads up high, to go out and to profess the name of Jesus Christ to those that we meet. To acknowledge that we are all fallen people, but that we are made perfect through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that you'll help us. To humble ourselves in your presence. To confess our sin. To accept your forgiveness. And then to go out into the world. And be the best ambassadors for you that we can possibly be. Father, thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for leaving your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to fill us and to protect us now and forevermore. In Jesus name. Amen.